Today is Wednesday. It's February 8th, 2023. It's 2.43 in the afternoon, and this is John Williams. Thanks for finding The Mincing Rascals. Share it with your friends. Give us a good rating if you think we deserve one. We hope that you do. Portions of this are broadcast Saturday nights on WGN Radio at 8 o'clock. And you can hear me weekdays on WGN Radio from 10 to 2. I'm Austin Burke from the Illinois Policy Institute, and you can listen to my, my podcast, America's Talking. And I'm Eric Zorn, the undecided publisher of the Picayune Sentinel, a fabulous newsletter on Substack. And you can write to me at ericzorn at gmail.com, and I'll add you to the list. And you'll always be able to see a preview of The Mincing Rascals every Thursday morning, in case for some weird reason you haven't already heard it. See a preview? You meaning the video that we record before Yeah, we, we do, do I, I show the video thing i usually do a little bit of a rundown as to what we talked about so i always thought that would get more hits on our sites you think that thousands and thousands of people would share the video of our talking heads going what do we want to talk about hey how, how was your weekend <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't gone viral yet it hasn't popped well wait till wait till one of us says something outrageous <laughs> yeah <laughs> we need more stunts or costumes or we need to hunt wigs. somebody down like rabbits we need some something to really catch people's attention okay let's start there another day another mayoral poll in chicago this one done for the sun times bez nbc in chicago has congressman chewy garcia winning with 20 percent followed by paul vallis 18 Lori lightfoot third 17 willie wilson and brandon jones uh, johnson follow them with 12 and 11 percent respectively they were asked if they believe in ghosts at the close of the most recent forum the one today right Paul Vallis asked if he believes in ghosts, said yes. Chewy Garcia said sometimes. Lori Lightfoot said yes, but she's so cool for school. Her answer was... I believe in spirits from the material world, yes. That's a yes. I, I kind of like those little questions where they, you know, hey, we're all walking out the door here. Just give me something personal. I wanted them to ask, which was your favorite snowplow name? I'm a little troubled, though, by Vallis's belief in ghosts, since there aren't ghosts. Uh, Brandon Johnson said, well, yes, ghost buses. Oh, oh, that's – I was just going to say, that's my, that would have been my answer. Oh, I, you know, Brandon, Brandon Johnson I, is quick on his feet. I think that guy is uh, probably the best debater in that group. Uh, however, credit where credit is due, right? That was Cam Buckner. Cam Buckner. Cam Buckner. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, wah, wah. That's my bad. That's my bad. Still a great so let's line, let's edit that off. No, no, no. That stays. That stays. It's all It's all gold. The personal, right. the weird personal detail, I wish more had come out, but there was one, I can't remember, there's a journalist who tweeted this, uh, a personal detail about Paul Vallis that I still think about that I think is endearing or charming is that no matter when he gets home, which is quite late when you're running a mayoral campaign, he will drink a cup of coffee and watch a full movie before going to bed, which I love. Just as like a personal detail of someone's life is so rich and interesting. It tells me and something I would want to know that, that about. Exactly. Yeah. I would want to know that about every candidate. You know, those seem to be like so unimportant compared to the, the real important things. But about the real important things, here's what they're going to do. They're going to be tough on crime. They're going to have a comprehensive program. There's going to be, oh, all right, whatever. Uh, what's we have to deal with a, we have to deal with the root causes of crime. I, I moderated an aldermanic forum in the 33rd Ward recently, and one of the things we did, we played a game of Never Have I Ever with the candidates. And we'd say, like, uh, Never Have I Ever 
put ketchup on a hot dog and they all had to hold up the little sign and then and never have I ever claimed dibs on a parking space and they had to hold up signs and watched a Real Housewives episode. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was one of those, it, it nice. was quick. It was really quick because they just had the sign so, so it didn't go on and on and uh, you know, those, those are good. I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that it's trivializing and so on, but you know, I, it, it, it does humanize the candidates a little bit because you're right. The, the, the policy stuff, they're on their talking points. It's very wonky. Uh, and so you get a little bit of better idea what kind of person they are, which is which is important. Well, was um, it Axios that asked them about dibs and uh, Sophia King? You know, she was on our show today, so I was kind of reading up on her answer to that, and she said she's pro dibs, which is almost a deal breaker for me. And I really enjoyed our conversation with her, but you do not own that real estate on the road in front of your building, even if you shovel it out. That's everybody's road you shoveled it out you don't therefore they don't hand you a deed to that piece of real estate it's not yours anyway well i agree i agree with you too and uh johanna really agrees with you she went on a tear in her neighborhood maybe 10 years ago she was grabbing stuff off the street and throwing it under the parkway it was like it was her her carry nation moment it was really something else but uh but these these are our our great little questions i i thought Sophia King, I did read that thing on Axios. One of the candidates gave a really, really lame, equivocating answer to that. I can't remember which one it was, but they did. Yeah, where they say like, well, it's like if you work really hard and shovel, I can certainly understand why you would want the spot. That was part of, well, that was part of her answer, (laughs) which is why she said you therefore should get to have it. It's, it's, It's the rare, silly little question for which there is no good answer because it's so polarizing. You want to get as many people under your tent as you can, it would seem to me. Austin, you rolled your eyes. Yeah, well, I think what I, we say that those questions are somewhat meaningless, but to Eric's point about one of them being equivocating, it actually is a kind of good barometer of whether they can be genuine and tell the truth about anything. <laughs> like, right? So if you ask about dibs, even if someone gives an answer, they're like, yeah, I love dibs. It's part of the Chicago culture. At least this person isn't like calculating their response to a question that doesn't matter. So, yeah, I would be curious to know who equivocated about that. That says yeah. a lot, actually. I th- and, and, you know, it, it is it's one of those things where you, you're thinking, I'm sure your your mind start, you haven't been coached on this question at all. So your mind is turning a million miles an hour going, OK, there's going to be people out there who really believe in ghosts. Right. And I'm just going to make them really angry if I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> and then there are people out there who are who are like John Williams who think there's no such thing as ghosts. And I'm going to make them mad if I say I do. So how can I answer this question? It's not going to make anybody mad. And and. And even watching that at work is interesting with a candidate. I, I would I would respect as as Austin said, I would give more respect to a candidate who just said, No, I don't believe I think that's nonsense. I believe in I, you know, that even even if I believe firmly in ghosts, I say, Well, okay. He he has convictions and he's gonna stick by them. But anyway, I have a little recency bias going on right now with the interviews we've been doing with the mayoral candidates. I pretty much have decided I'm gonna vote for the last one I just interviewed because we get <laughs> along great and they seem to be very sincere and intelligent and you know, I don't know how to fix crime and get businesses profitable back downtown, but these people want to fight that fight. And I go, God bless you, Sophia King, God bless you, Brandon Johnson. You know, I'm like, Yeah, okay. And it made me think that once again, Ranked choice voting would give me a chance. Sophia King in this one survey picks up 
was it 1% of the people said if the election were today, they would vote for her. 1%. And it makes me think if we had ranked choice voting, I could vote for a Sophia King and know that I'm not wasting my vote because it's really going to come down between these other three or four candidates. And then my second or third vote would eventually be almost certainly calculated into the mix. If we had ranked choice voting, we would probably find that middle middle road candidate that might be more palatable to more people. Willie Wilson is polarizing. Lori Lightfoot is polarizing. And some of the polls, they're two of the four. And yet most people in Chicago don't want them, decidedly don't want them to be mayor. But the way it's set up right now, even with the instant or with the with the runoff, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get somebody that most people have expressly said, I don't want. I do not want them to be mayor. But what do you know? They finished in the top of the pack. They're in the runoff. Alderman Matt Martin has just introduced a city council resolution calling for a hearing to discuss ranked choice voting, which is going to be implemented in Evanston. And it's been implemented around the country in a bunch of different places. Uh, I'm a big supporter of it. I'm okay in this in this case, in this instance, with the uh, top two runoff that we're going to have because it seems it's very difficult for me to rank. I, I couldn't rank the candidates right now, even having listened to all these as many forums. As I, I could. Understand. You couldn't. You couldn't. Uh... Well, I'm, I don't have a talk show on the radio and talk to these people for half an hour individually. I, you know, but <laughs> but I have I have I have listened to a lot of what they have to say. I've read a lot about it, and I I, I don't think I could rank them. And and they go back and forth. I mean, I, I seriously I said the intro. I'm undecided. I'm still undecided. Mary Schmeek has a big post on Facebook talking about how she's undecided. I talked to a lot of. People who are like, well, you know, I kind of like this person, but I, you know, I mean, and, and well, you're you know, not I, the decider. You're just one of a uh, three million people that's going to vote. Listen, Eric, I mean, my my ballot would change by the day, right? But okay. I know who's right. in my bottom and who's in my top. In this case, then, in principle, you don't like ranked choice voting. Nine yeah. candidates is a lot, though. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I and I, I would support it in this case. I think it's preferable to that. Over the situation where you would say have Chewy Garcia getting twenty percent of the vote and becoming mayor because there are nine candidates in the field, I, I think right. that's that's unthinkable to me. I mean, yet it that's going to happen. happen. It, but that's going to happen. Well, well, no, no, it's not because Chewy Garcia is going to have to go up against if if he wins the you know he's going to have to go up against um, Lightfoot or Vallis or and or then get fifty percent plus one. But still, right. he's there by virtue of gotten. 20% of the vote in the field. 80% of the people said they didn't want him. He just happens hmm. to be the top two. He might, have been their, he might have been their second choice. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. I'm no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome. Welcome to my twisted brain. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, My name's Austin. Okay. It's, it's the beard. It's the beard that gets me confused. The award-winning beard. So I think part of... <laughs> the, I would prefer moving the date of the election over ranked choice. Because the reality is that a vast majority of people are just not voting at all. Um, and I don't think that's because of the, the current system I, uh, in terms of rank choice versus just winner take all. Uh, I think it's because of the timing. And uh, you look at the last mayoral election, how many were there in 2019? How many candidates? 14 or 11? Somewhere yeah, 14, around a dozen. 14. Yeah, 14. And and asking everyone to to know enough about all of those candidates to rank them properly is kind of a, a big ask, uh, first of all. But you look at the difference between who made the runoff and who didn't. Daily, I think, was number three. And there was a difference of like 7,000 votes. Over a million registered voters in Chicago didn't vote at all. Uh, but like, that's the big problem to me. It's not necessarily the ranked choice part, but it's that 
people are just totally checking out of the process. So how do you get more people to vote? Uh, So California has a really interesting model where if you don't get over a certain threshold of turnout in your municipal election, then the election is automatically moved to November elections, (laughs) November of uh, of even years. Leave it to California. That's clever. Yeah. But I think that's really interesting. And, and, you know, you have uh, elections for, I believe the county board elections are in uh, uh, November. The elected school board, interestingly, those elections are going to be in November, uh, even though they're a municipal office. So, yeah, I think you, you move and it's like that in every municipal race in, in Illinois, not just Chicago. But I think you move them. You should move them to the fall when people are used to voting, not February, where many people aren't even in the city and it's tough to get out. Do you think that Willie Wilson is getting too much attention in this race, that he says a few outlandish things? We talked about this last week on the podcast. We talked about it in the video pre-roll before we did this podcast. I want somebody to ask him, what do you mean by hunt them down like a rabbit? And I haven't heard him specifically answer that. Does he mean, and I guess maybe on one of these forums that I missed, huh, guys? Uh, He did speak more specifically to it. But if a police officer is going after a suspect, say that he knows that he robbed the bank or killed the dog or shot the person. What does hunt them down like a rabbit mean? Specifically describe that scene where they're hunting them down like a rabbit. Because I think it's shorthand for we need to be tougher on crime. I get it. But he's not distancing himself from that comment. I think he's actually getting some traction with that comment. So he's leaving the awful rhetoric of it out there. And if that's the way he's going to play the game, then tell me Play that out for me, Willie Wilson. What does that mean? Eric, have you heard him answer that question? <clears throat> well, I've heard him try to answer that, or try to answer that question. I've heard him address that question basically by deflecting, by saying, you know, you don't understand <clears throat> my son was murdered and yeah. we have to and, and if someone commits a crime, we need we can't be soft on them, we have to hunt them down like rabbits. As though he is judged and convicted them already as they're running away down an alley or down a street and i mean there 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 is there are a lot of problems obviously with foot chases with police they they often end badly car chases with police often end badly that's that's true um on the other hand, I think you can't just tell police, well, if somebody runs away, you got to let them go. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on policing, I, but I'm of a mixed mind about this. I, I certainly uh, can understand how people can be outraged by this idea that, well, we're just going to, if a guy, if a, if someone, we see somebody uh, rob a store and run away, then, then we're just going to, you know, does the scene come to mind? Does the scene come to mind? Because one does for me, the cop chasing the kid down the alley who is the teenager who turned on the fence the police officer thought he had a gun he didn't have a gun in his hand adam adam toledo adam toledo i mean that's hunt him down like a rabbit there's a lot going on there i don't know if that's a perfect analogy but that's the scenario in which i think willie wilson said yeah shoot the kid and i think that's just terrible and i if he means something more specifically like we need the prosecutors to you know, or we need the police to close more cases, stuff like that. F- say that. To to take a look at that Adam Toledo story, the, the kid had a gun in his hand and he's yeah. running away in, right. in the middle of the night and he, the gun has been fired just recently. And so the argument is, well, do you just say, well, let him go. He's got a gun. It's OK. Or do you say there's a dangerous person? And you don't know how old he is. He's running away. He's not not a large person, but he's running away with a gun in his hand. Do you let him go or not? I, mean, I don't think that's necessarily an easy question. Um, you you seem to think so, John. But I, I as I, you know, especially in the heat of the moment, you say this gun's been fired. 
this person is running away with a gun in his hand. You just go, oh, well, he's, you know, he's going to run off. I was only calling and, that up as an example of how it can go wrong, oh, how that oh, sort yeah, of split it, decision. It, it, it no, went I think horribly officer, wrong. No question. I thought the officer that, yeah. was absolutely right. I, you you know how I feel about this. I think it bothered me that the newspapers the next day did a screen grab of the instant where Toledo was turning and the gun isn't in his hand anymore. But what was that? A hundredth of a second. The police officer mm-hmm. doesn't have that luxury. He 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 broke his heart that he fired on that kid. I had a lot of sympathy for the police in that case. To, to your question on whether he's getting too much attention, I think that's interesting. I think he's getting about the uh, right amount of attention for someone who's going to finish with more than 10% of the vote, vote likely, in this election. And what's interesting is he's trying something uh, where he knows that public safety is the top issue for Chicago voters. So what happens if I say the most colorful, bombastic thing about crime? How many votes can I get from that? Uh I don't think he really adds, if anything, he loses votes because of it. He's certainly not gaining votes because of it, I don't think. Uh, his base of support are, are almost entirely black Chicagoans who have seen him personally do a lot for their community, um, whether that's you know giving out gas cards or going to churches and giving churches a lot of money. Um, and that's, that's what his base is, and that's where uh, a lot of his support comes from, and that's why he's on the stage in the first place and pulling ahead of – he's in the top half, right? I mean, he's he's in the top four or five pretty much every yeah. every poll. Yeah. So um, he commands some attention just by virtue of that. Here's another scene I want to explain to us. Uh, State Representative Thaddeus Jones from Calumet City, neighborhood in the southern part of Chicago, wants a law – from Springfield that would mandate for communities over 2,000. So it's a law that would apply only to Chicago, or 2 million people. It would apply to Chicago. That shop owners hire security guards for as long as they are open to the public. I believe he wants armed guards. I've seen it written both ways. You'd think that they would always describe them as armed guards if that's the case. I believe it is. And it would be for gas station owners, banks, pawn shops, and grocery stores. What's your – here's another one where I go, okay, tell me how that works. Tell me how that makes us safer. Tell give me. Tell me how it goes when the bad guy comes in and you've got some person with a windbreaker that says security there and they've got a gun. Play that out for me ten times. Austin, what's your reaction to this? It's it's really absurd, and I I hope the bill is sort of withdrawn and stricken from the record just because <laughs> of the message that it sends. Um this doesn't have a chance in hell of passing the legislature, but the fact that it was even introduced sends a signal to small business, businesses, large and small in Chicago, that this is the kind of political leadership we have in the state. So it's really absurd. One very uh, simple consequence to play out is the fact that Chicagoans already pay among the highest gas prices in the country. Uh, it's, it's second or first, and most of that is because of the tax burden on gas in the city. If you have every single uh, you know, mom and pop gas station franchisee or owner having to hire someone at all hours of the day armed to stand outside of their store, um, obviously the price of that is going to go up. Same thing for groceries. Uh, and same thing for pawn shops. I don't know if people care that much about pawn shop prices going up. I think up, the but... pawn shop already has a gun behind the counter. Anyway. Yeah, right. Good point. How many of those don't have armed security <laughs> would be an interesting question. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it sends a really horrible message to business owners. I, I wish it wasn't filed at right. all. And exactly who are they trying to – are they trying to protect customers? I, mean, I can understand where you would want 
business owners to be safe. But if a business owner doesn't want to have an arm, doesn't pay for an armed guard, I don't see why you would want to make them do that. Unless unless your argument is that this makes customers unsafe and this is a public safety matter, not a personal safety matter. Because otherwise you could argue that you should mandate that everybody have guns in their homes or have armed guards in their homes or something. You know, I mean, it's I, I don't understand where the end of this logic goes. Maybe it's a deterrent. I mean, I'll give him that. Maybe if the idea is armed guard on the premises – then they won't go there. I'm not sure that all of these kids think it through. The other thing around the thinking of this that is really annoying is <laughs> Thaddeus Jones obviously is a Democratic state representative, and him or his colleagues would scoff at the notion that perhaps we should arm teachers to protect schools, right? Which I would also scoff at. I think that's kind of ridiculous. But then introduces something like this. As if that's like that that far removed. It's the exact same logic of like, oh, we're seeing a lot of crime at grocery stores and gas stations. We should mandate armed personnel at all of these places to stop the crime. It's the same kind of like third grade logic. That well, is it's, very it's even worse because I can I can imagine an argument that says if you arm teachers, you're keeping the students safe. So it's it is more of a public safety issue. And, and, and I don't again, I'm not in favor of that, but I'm saying that 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 argument could could obtain. I don't really see how you could say that, well, a gas station owner has to have an armed guard there because customers coming in and out could be a danger of a, of a stick up at some point. I don't think that's true. Hey, I just saw this is like breaking while we're talking. The tribe is reporting that uh, Paul Vallis's son, Gus, was one of three San Antonio police officers who fatally shot a black man who was fleeing in March 2022. Uh, and that a spokesman for the Vallis campaign has confirmed that. What city was that? This is uh, San Antonio. Yeah. And I, it just was interesting because, you know, we, we were talking about about Willie Wilson's son having been murdered and how the, you know, your your offspring, the experiences of your offspring may color how you feel about certain things. So I'm, it's interesting that this is just coming to light now. And I don't know exactly what I haven't even read the entire story here. I just sort of flashed up on my Twitter feed. So uh, it's just it's something that people are probably going to be talking about the next few days. But they shot the guy nine times. Was he uh, disciplined for that? Does it say? Doesn't seem to say if he was disciplined doesn't, or not. Doesn't doesn't say if if he has been, but it's certainly. I, I imagine it's going to be a, an issue in the in the race coming going forward. It's it's, it's been interesting as as he's sort of emerged as a front runner. The attacks or lack thereof on him have been interesting to me. So I think maybe four years ago, the fact that he was endorsed by the FOP, the Chicago Police Union, would have been a, a net negative perhaps for a person running in that race. But you'll notice that. None of the candidates have hit him, really, on taking the endorsement of the police union. And I think that's quite interesting because they perceive that it would be stupid to frame your opponent as pro-cop. And that's interesting. So rather than doing that, they are taking the tact Chewy Garcia and Lori Lightfoot both have adds to this effect of uh, calling him a Republican. It's it's better to call him a Republican than to call him pro-cop in Mm -hmm. their eyes, which I think is interesting. I think there's a very interesting film clip that Maria Lightfoot is putting out, and it's this interview with Jeff Berkowitz that was done in 2009. Berkowitz is a local uh, cable, t- public access cable TV political host. And in that interview, uh, Berkowitz uh, says, uh, if you run it, he asks, if you run again for office, you'd be running as a Republican as opposed to a Democrat. And Vallis says, I would, yes, yes, if I ran for public office, I would be running as a Republican. Uh, there's nothing out of context about that remark. Vallis, and this is 2009. 
when Barack Obama is president of the United States. And I don't see how Vallis actually runs away from that. Uh, and you know, some of his detractors are pointing out that, yes, he's run statewide as a Democrat three times. Uh, he does have some Democratic uh, uh, bona fides. But, boy, I think that's going to hurt him, especially in the general election. If, if you got, you've got uh, a solidly blue city, like 15 percent of the people here voted for Trump, something like that. I mean, really, really small. Uh, I think that that could really be a, a fatal blow to his well, how long ago did election. he say that? You said 2009. Okay, so ago. that's 14 years ago. Well, here's what you say. Over time, my views have changed as I've come to it. I mean, you just 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 throw a word salad at that. <laughs> you you full indiscretion. <laughs> well, I was, I was a, it is fourteen I, years. That's not a mitigation. years ago, and and it didn't happen. I think he's voted in every Democratic primary. I think, to my knowledge, as you said, Eric ran as a dem has always run as a Democrat in the races that he's run. I just don't know. Maybe it will be believable to to a certain set of people, but. I, it just does. It seems uh, it strikes me a little bit as maybe it's not desperation. It's just recognizing him as a front runner and that they think that that's the most effective tactic. I'm, to, to I'm take curious. Him down a peg. Why, why do you think Lightfoot wants to take him down a peg if she has vehemently said that she wants to run against him in the runoff? Like, why isn't she doing what what J.B. Pritzker did, which is like kind of boosting the candidacy of the person she wants to run against. So you remember Pritzker? Pritzker was 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 you know fairly overtly helping Darren Bailey agitate his base voters because he wanted to run against Bailey in the general election, and it worked. It worked. Uh, he did. He wasn't attacking Bailey at all, and now Lightfoot is attacking Vallis. If she wants Vallis in the if she wants Vallis one on one, she's making it less likely that he's going to win. She's going to be facing somebody else. So I'm not quite sure I understand her long game here. <laughs> this is the like 7D chess move. Would I was be, just uh, thinking. Uh, Republicans, if if a Republican statewide candidate gets 20% of the vote in Chicago, that's kind of the rule of thumb where you can win statewide. And say, if you if you define someone as the Republican in the race, they, they get into the runoff, but then they can't win one-on-one. -on -one. That's the most charitable interpretation. I would say the least charitable interpretation is that when she said she really wants to face Vallis, uh, she was lying. And that's not true. Um, and I, I don't think really makes sense. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. She would want to face Willie Wilson. She would want to face Sophia King. She would. It, it doesn't make sense that she would say that she, she prefers to face Vallis, well, she and, needs especially to, because he's raised more money than her. She needs to face somebody who is less popular than she is. And that's going to be a, uh, a tall order for her right now. <laughs> that, that Her popularity is really low. And, you know, watching her in the debate last night, she she is she got off some OK lines she, uh, and she made it sound like she was being kind of picked on. She she accused uh, Brandon yeah. Johnson of mansplaining to her. And I can't remember which which person she said, you're talking to me like a child. Maybe that was Willie Wilson. Maybe it was. Answer, I can't remember, but she was like kind of the uh, the, the, the put upon uh, uh, candidate on the stage. And uh, but but she has this sort of she, she, there's no lightness about Laurie Lightfoot. She's very, she's very uh, sort of grim and defensive. And uh, I, I don't think she's connecting with voters, people who supported her last time. So I don't know who she's gonna who would actually be a good matchup for her unless it's somebody you know, like Roderick Sawyer who is just sort of basically an unknown, um, and that's not going to happen. That's not going to so. happen. That's not going to happen. Let's uh, talk about Joe Biden's speech last night, the State of the Union. I thought the Biden speech was really well written. 
He stumbles when he ad-libs. He's not a great speech reader. He's had a speech issue his whole life. Uh, But I thought it was a pretty good performance and a pretty good speech. There was something almost jocular about the whole evening, I thought, when the sitting president lays out how good things are, even one with a below 50% approval rating. I think it's easy to appreciate and enjoy that you live in America and some things are good. Unemployment is low and the infrastructure is going to be tended to and Medicare costs for insulin is capped at $35. It'd be better if it was that way for everybody. He made that point too. I was a little surprised at how he baited the Republicans and I wasn't that surprised that they jeered back a couple of times and notably about Social Security and Medicare. He said, my Republican friends, not all of them, but some of them want this or that. And it set the room off. It was like he was trying to divide the Freedom Caucus from the fold. or And he didn't even seem to mind. He had a smile on his face at times. Um, it, it, it reminded me of like the parliament, you know, where they're all stamping their feet. And, and you don't know how seriously to take their protestations is this are they really outraged or is this just the way we do it the whole evening sort of took on that sort of vibe it didn't almost bother me as much as it bothered other commentators and of course then they got into the were the republicans behaving last night worse than nancy pelosi was after donald trump's state of the union when she tore up the speech I, I did watch most of it. I usually tried not to, but I knew we were going to talk about it today. I think every year I say something to the effect of the State of the Union is a meeting that could be an email. Yeah, right. And uh, the best a president can hope for from a State of the Union, in my opinion, would be list some achievements, make some promises, get out without any embarrassing gaffes. And he managed to do all three of those things quite well. I think he exceeded expectations, like relatively low expectations probably, but got out and checked those three boxes uh, just fine. There was a recent uh, Washington Post ABC News poll that showed, I think it was 58, 59% of Democrats and Democratic leaning voters wanted someone other than Biden to run for president. Yeah, And more than six in 10 Americans don't think he has accomplished much during his first two years in office. So I think the State of the Union was also like a consolidation of the base a bit. So aiming to convince those people otherwise. Um, and I would say if that was the goal, I think he was actually pretty effective in that. No, well, I would agree with that. I, and I, I thought that when he was baiting the Republicans on Medicare and Social Security, uh, that was brilliant the way he did that. And uh, where he I do too. He, he, he got them to start howling at him. Remember when Joe Wilson yelled, you lie at Obama yeah. back in 2009, and everyone was aghast and, you know, and rending their garments over her, uh, incivility. And now you've got like entire, entire exactly. sections exactly. of Congress yelling, you lie at, at the president during the speech. Uh, so it's uh, good times in 2009. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you, know, you get, you, you get, you get this, this reaction. And then, and then he turns around and goes, Oh, okay. Well, I guess we're all on the same page. Social Security and Medicare are all are, are safe. And and the truth is that there are a number of Republicans who are highly critical of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, and they and they uh, want to, uh, if not uh, get rid of it, they certainly want to change. But that's it, not going to change happen. it. Mitch McConnell and, and Kevin, and that's both. why they shouldn't have gone for they should they shouldn't have gone for the bay. They should have just been silent. 
I, I know there are also ways that, that especially when the, the president has these, uh, he has the Speaker of the House behind him, the Republican Speaker of the House behind him, that he can say things that sound that sound like like we're all in favor of this, and and because they don't be, because they don't want to applaud for him, they sit there on their hands, looking like they're opposed to you know apple pie and motherhood, and it's just an interesting bit of stagecraft, the whole the whole speech. But um, but I would agree with Austin that I thought it was uh, a well delivered speech and. And it had some nice moments in it. There was that ad lib moment uh, in the beginning where he, he t- turned to the speaker and said, uh, you know, this may cost you some votes, but I, I look forward to working with you. I mean, little, little touches like that, that sort of genial Joe Biden that, that people kind of like uh, was on display. And um, no, I, I thought I thought he, he did himself a lot of good. And he might have even changed that narrative among Democrats who thought that he can't who can't win. I, you know, watching you think. Yeah, he stumbles a little bit on his words, but he doesn't look like a doddering old man. So, so maybe, maybe, uh, and, and it look, if he's going to run, he's going to win, get the nomination almost for sure. So Democrats have got to get their minds around that. Boy, then they got to go behind closed doors and ask him, "Hey, good speech. Don't run. Do not think that that's an open invitation." I I think you saw Pelosi come out after the speech and very strongly, you know, as you would expect. Uh, say that there wouldn't be a primary challenge. I think everybody closed ranks um, after the speech saying, you know, this guy's, this is our guy. We're going to run with him. Maybe J.B. Pritzker's ears were burning while people were saying that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think he did everything he needed to do. And right now, if you were betting, is this guy going to face a serious primary challenge? I, th- I think I, those are definitely longer odds than we would have said six months ago. Does it matter? I wonder that uh, the latest survey I saw said that Trump beats him in a head-to-head right now. I don't think that matters. I don't. I don't think that polls this far out have any impact at all, or any, or, or at all, uh, dispositive about what's going to happen in an election like that. I think that you've got two. I mean, if if Trump wins, he'll be more than over eighty by the time he he's done with his next term. So you've got these. It's not like you're going to have youth. You're you're not going to have you know this vibrant youth against this old man. You're going to have a couple of old guys <laughs> going at it, and uh, so I'm I'm not sure how if Biden's age would would count against him that much in that kind of election. If he runs against a younger candidate like a DeSantis, uh, for instance, then that the contrast could be pretty stark, especially if he continues to slip in little ways the way he does. I I, I don't think that Biden has any kind of serious dementia problems but he's, he's i don't either years old i don't either years old. no no i don't either well the wall street journal editorial today though said if things are so good joe biden then why are your numbers so bad and then they talked about some of the numbers you were referencing austin how his unfavorables are very high and that's where they mentioned that in a head-to-head right now i know it's way in the future it's very speculative but even donald trump scores more points right now than joe biden does how many a million americans we got now those are our two choices talk about ranked choice voting let's put 330 million names on the ballot i'll bet those guys don't win i mean really god bless you joe thank you for your service imagine that those were our two choices i believe that enthusiasm for trump is waning in the republican party but if there are a number of challengers, Nikki Haley is going to announce. Uh, she's announced that she's going to announce. Uh, I believe DeSantis is going to run. There, there are probably uh, a few other candidates who are going to run. And uh, if they split up the vote, the anti-Trump vote, most of these primaries in the Republican field are winner-take-all, which is, I think is a crazy system. 
so, you know, you might get again, this gets back to this idea of, of 30 percent of the vote winning everything, mm-hmm. which which is which is offensive to me. And um, uh, so you can have a situation where I, I you know, Trump is, goes after these people. He's going after DeSantis now and suggested that he's he, he likes to have sex with underage girls or something like that. I mean, it's like some really weird thing that he was retweeting. And um so the, he, I would think Trump would welcome all these people challenging him because he does have a, a base in the party and it's big enough to win all these primaries. So I'm not sure why he's getting his knickers in a twist about Nikki Haley and Ron and, and Ron DeSantis. He should invite more challengers in and then he can he can squeak through the primaries and be the nominee again. Where are you guys on? A dynamic pricing almost for movie theater tickets. The AMC movie theater chain is unveiled here in Chicago. They're doing it now. The idea is that the better seats cost more. The same way you would pay more for a seat at a ball game or at a Broadway show, uh, the tickets would not all have the same price at a movie theater. Do you like that idea, Eric? I don't mind it. It's it's uh, because it is something that we're used to in, like you said, in sports events and in, in major plays and concerts. Concerts, even. You have, yeah. You, know, you, have, <laughs> you, you have you have that. I don't see. First of all, I don't think that it would be that easy to enforce in your standard movie theater. You would have to pay a lot of extra ushers to make sure people are sitting in the right seats and then once the lights go out how are you going to stop people unless you've got like barriers up to stop people from moving <laughs> into the good the good seats it just seems like kind of a, a wow you thought it nightmare. through wow i have well i posted on facebook and i got a voluminous response nearly all of it negative and a lot of people were just saying this is one more reason not to go to the movie theater and there there are a lot of good reasons not to go to the movie theater these days and they're like apple plus tv netflix hbo max paramount plus all these uh Prime Video, all the things that you can watch at home that are really, really good that you've really been wanting to watch, and so you think, am I going to go pay twelve dollars, maybe now fifteen dollars a ticket, to and and pay six dollars for a tub of popcorn or whatever it costs, or, or am I going to stay home and watch something that's really good on a really nice big TV? And this is one more reason that people might not do it. So I think it's a dumb move as a matter of, of business. Uh, they're welcome to do it, and this is it kind of dovetails with the thing we had last week about the Netflix yeah, uh, yeah. surge. Uh, Netflix crackdown on on subscriptions, which they they have walked back. But uh, I, I thought it was you know it's certainly their right to do it, but I also think that it's not a smart business move. Netflix isn't going to crack down. You could go ahead, you Austin. could justify doing it if the experience of the theater changed. So. I, I think an AMC style theater experience is going to die completely over the next 10 years. Um, but a place like an Alamo draft house or some of these like higher end movie theater things where you're not only buying a seat, but you're buying like the ability to recline and like a really nice dinner and like people come get you stuff. And it's nice. It's not, it's better than being at, at home. Um, if you can charge that and justify that pricing by offering some kind of a different experience, I think that could work. Uh, this to me seems like may, it might make complete economic sense for them. Like they, they will, they may make more money on this, but long term, I don't think it will change the trajectory of AMC theaters. Have you been to one of those theaters where you're sitting in one of the luxurious seats and you got your little beer there and a little plate area and you're having your fancy pizza or whatever and the waitress comes by and is actually still picking up plates and taking orders 
I've I've had that a couple times, and I think, hey, I'm I'm trying to watch a movie here. Um, <laughs> if and when they're tending to the people in front of me, I'm thinking, wait, <laughs> shut up, sit down, get out of the way. I just paid eighty seven dollars for this. <laughs> I know that's that's part of the experience is the waitress coming by, but I don't want her to come by in front of me. It's it's a give and take, isn't it? There's a little bit of a compromise there. <laughs> First world problems with John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it does make me go. I'll just stay at home for this. The, the well, it's a, the big here's another first world problem with that. The really comfortable chairs, I 100 percent of the time fall asleep in. So yes. it's a bad, it's a big, big waste of money. It's true. It's so easy to do. Well, how often do you, how often do you go to movies, John? At the theater? With, yeah. Um, not much anymore. I mean, the, we're talking pre-pandemic, my experiences here. Right. Since the pandemic, have I been in a movie theater, I'll bet, three times? How about wow. you? Have you gone to a movie theater? I have not, no. Have you, Austin? Yeah, I went, uh, but I can't think of a theater experience I've had where there was not, like, you needed to have assigned seats. It's never full, yeah, no matter when Well, that's you go. the other thing now. I, I'll bet you I've not, I, I can tell you for sure I have not been to a movie where, the, where there were more than 25 people in the theater. Um, and that was mm-hmm. to see Maverick Top Gun, for instance. I saw that on a big screen, which is a great way to see that movie. And it was not crowded. Maybe uh, – call me a liar if I'm wrong about that, but it was not crowded. It was not a crowded theater, that's for sure. Um, I, I would say on my Facebook, and it's only a, you know, a couple hundred responses, but I, it was just overwhelmingly negative. I just people saying, you know, screw this, I don't want, I'm not going to pay more. And I think the idea is maybe that, that they don't want to pay more for a seat to sit in a good seat. That they they might pay the same amount, <laughs> and then they might accept a discount. Yeah. Sit, I guess there's a discount to sit in the front row, which is like the worst possible experience. I don't know why you would, you know. I mean, that's just it, it's like standing room in a in a ball game. It's like no, I'm not going to do that. So, uh, speaking of entertainment, talk to me about the um, bill. Uh, Tennessee Democrat State Representative Joe Towns of Memphis has introduced a bill to remove Columbus Day as a legal holiday, and Monday after the Super Bowl would be the new holiday. Am I reading that right, Eric? That's the bill, yeah. And uh, first of all, you're going to make Italian-Americans and people who celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day on the second Monday of October furious. And the obvious solution, to my mind, is simply to move up the kickoff on the Super Bowl from 5.30 Chicago time to 3.30 Chicago time, which gets people home at a decent hour and it means that you're wide awake at work on Monday. I mean, the, the argument is that everyone stays out, their Super Bowl party, the game doesn't end until, you know, about close to nine o'clock and you got to pack up and get home and you're not in bed till 10.30 or, and, and that's late for people and, you know, I mean, I get that. It's like it's, it does feel like a weekend activity. So why don't they just move the uh, move the kickoff up? It's been it's been earlier before. It was as early as two o'clock Chicago time, uh, way back when. It's been about it's been about five thirty for the last thirty years. But uh, but I that that's be my solution rather than changing mm-hmm. the federal holiday or the state holiday schedule around. I would just move the kickoff. Does seem kind of luxurious. You can enjoy your Super Bowl party, have an extra beer, and not have to worry about being awake and a hundred percent the next day. You sleep in. I mean, I get the the one two punch of how nice that would feel, but it does seem to me to be a little bit of a solution looking for a problem. It would be nice. Federal holidays are kind of the biggest impact of them. One is you know 
it's a virtue signaling, not in a bad sense. Like it signals signals kind of the virtues of the the country. And then secondly, it costs taxpayers a lot of money because uh, a lot of government services aren't running that day. So to do that for the day after the Super Bowl to me seems a bit ridiculous. And people who have jobs that abide by a federal holiday schedule, I guess, would get like a nice you stay up later on super bowl sunday but i i don't know if that's that's really fair to make everybody else pay for and this would be a, a tennessee state holiday i guess because he's a state rep there but uh you know if the movement takes takes hold maybe it would be a federal holiday but but uh i don't see it happening i don't see them adding a holiday and i don't see them getting rid of columbus day slash indigenous people's day uh so I like the solution of moving the kickoff up. Is that uh how's how does that fly with the with the table here? I like that. It seems I, fine. But we're central exactly. time we're central time zone, so I I think we have to ask maybe our California people what they think about that. That would well, be, it'd be, that it would be, be one tough. it'd be a one thirty kickoff. It'd be sort of like when a normal Sunday game is. Right. Um, it's like the Rose Bowl or something. Well yeah, it's like I I mean the thing is if you're gonna have a party what, what I mean actually a three thirty kickoff is almost perfect. You can have you know your little your you're chilly at halftime at about five thirty, maybe, 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 maybe uh, five, and then you're home by eight or so. That's that's fine. Another thing to think about with with federal holidays, I just looked this up. I don't think there's ever been a federal holiday removed in the history of the United <laughs> States, and I can't I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm not finding one. I would I I don't think that's ever happened. You'd have well, to pass Congress would have passed and the president would have to sign it. Well, one other thing is that if you were to do that, I mean, this year, for instance, the Monday after the Super Bowl is one week before the President's Day, which is a, another state holiday. So you, you, I don't like it when holidays are really close to each other. They should be nicely spaced out. And it turns out actually that, that Columbus Day, which is in October, is fairly well spaced out between yep. Labor Day and, yep. and uh, Thanksgiving. So. Uh, that's a, a point in its favor also. I so. like idea. I like your notion, though, Austin, that it is a kind of virtue signaling. It's like these are the things that are important to us that we're going to carve out and people don't have to work so they can do it. And it's the 4th of July or it's Christmas. The Super Bowl is our most sacred of holidays. The Super Bowl is is the, is the one day that everybody is pretty much either doing the same thing or – knows they're not doing the thing everybody else is doing. That's the day you can drive down a, a busy street and see the least amount of traffic off the, the one thing I did, the, the one thing I didn't bring up about the debate was I thought it was really weird that Chewy Garcia decided to skip the TTW forum to go to the State of the Union speech to be yeah. essentially a member of a glorified studio audience yeah. uh, and not be at this debate. It's three weeks till the election, and people are still – a lot of people are still undecided, and he has decided he'd rather go and jump at applause lines at the State of the Union. I, I don't know. It's like and, question. And the people question. watching the people watching WTTW are very much Chicago voters. Like those those people are really looking for what they want from a candidate. I thought that was a. Some people were saying like, "Oh, that's a sign of strength." Uh, I completely disagree. It seems like almost like throwing close to throwing in the towel really? for this race. Wow! I, I thought that was very very odd. That's funny because I read it to be he's reminding you he's a member of Congress. He is a, he's not just some successful businessman or a fourth ward alder person. He's a member of the U.S. Congress. Who cares more about being at being at a 
somewhat meaningless ceremonial event. I mean, you could have watched that. He could have been on the, on the, I mean, I watched them both. <laughs> he could have watched them. He could have been in one and watched the other one. Uh, there'd be no problem. I, I think that it, it showed his priorities. It showed that I don't think he really understands the race. He was the last candidate in the race. He's among the last candidates to go on the air with ads. I'm yeah. not sure what his long game is here or, or his short game. I, I don't get it. It's, it's, uh, uh, his campaign has been kind of uninspiring. He seems to be stuck on talking points. Have you talked to him on your show? Uh, I have not, and I'm wondering, uh, he is going to be coming on soon? Yeah, we are reaching out to all of them. The incumbent has been very difficult for us to get on the show. They did call us one day and say, hey, Lori, would like to come on, talk about this deal she wants to get through with ComEd. He says, great, we'll do that. Austin, I reached out to you and Heather and some people I know going, hey, Lori Lightfoot's finally going to come on. You know, What do I need to talk to her about? How you know? Give me the uh, preview this for me a little bit. I don't want to miss this golden opportunity. And then we got ghosted on that, so it never happened. She can win or lose the election without my help, but I I would I would make myself more available to WGN Radio if I were Lori Lightfoot. We've got a lot of voters in our audience. One last thing about the State of the Union address. George Santos is standing there preening for the cameras, trying to get close to the president and the senators when they all walk in there. And uh, then Mitt Romney came up to him and said, you shouldn't be here. Get out of the way. Stop mugging for the camera. They're still chasing that guy up and down the halls of Congress. I don't think much is being gained anymore by it. I sure don't feel sorry for him. But can you imagine how miserable his days must be or nights must be? I mean, he he said to, I think it was ABC, a reporter afterwards, that Mitt Romney wasn't being very Mormon to him. And I don't know what a Mormon is supposed to do in a situation like that. But what a just miserable run he is having. I really like the guy on Twitter who calls him Spurious George. <laughs> so, yeah, Not bad, not bad. Hey, listen, I've taken all the time I need from you guys. Eric and uh, Austin, thanks for being part of the Mincing Rascals podcast this week. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams, and we'll drop another pod on you next week. Okay, fellas. Lots all right, guys, thanks. That was fun. That good was a job. good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to great. watching the movie, Austin. I haven't seen it yet. I know. I, Thank you. Yeah, me too. Me too. People I, sent I, me a, a, a screener, but um, I'll definitely be watching it. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I am. I'm watching it too. Even though I've, I've already raised my objection with Austin about uh, Charles Thomas being in it, I'm just like, oh man, that guy. <laughs> wait till you see some of the other people in it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I can't wait! I can't All wait! Right. All right, guys, Our see you later. Coming. See you. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com.